one of the things I loved about SoFi Invest before it came and still love, you know, I've been here six months, is the breadth of what we can offer people from an investing perspective. We've got the ability to actively trade stocks with fractional shares so you can buy very, very small amounts, access to cryptocurrency trading, ETFs, robo-advisory, which we're spend most of our time on, and then access to IPOs, which has traditionally been something you have to have a lot of money to be able to buy into an IPO when it first goes public. We've got to figure out how to communicate, educate, and draw people in because it can be intimidating. People might start investing and then stop because they can't quite figure out what's the best thing to do. Maybe they bought one of those meme stocks on the way down, this is the way up, and lost money. And so I think democratization is both the products, but then the content and the education to help people along the way as they learn it. Welcome to Fundamental Fairness, a podcast about financial inclusion from the lens of entrepreneurs, policymakers, and investors. Brought to you by Camino Financial with your host, Sean Salas. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Fundamental Fairness. And we have a great episode in store for you today. Now, as usual, let's set the context. Like in any other field, technology has entered the financial services industry and has set up on autopilot investing and financial planning via sophisticated algorithms. Investment operations are rapidly moving towards service-based and value-driven practices such as portfolio analytics and market intelligence. For example, customized and innovative investment capabilities like separately managing your accounts could become a norm. Teams would need both the technology to enable this and the capital markets talent and expertise to bring it to life. And now more than ever, various so-called robo-advisors are giving their contribution to this digital era of investing with SoFi taking the lead. It's important to note that as we enter an era of perpetual reinvention, we ultimately need to understand that the best way to prepare for the future is to create it. Today, I have the pleasure of chatting with Tobin McDaniel, the head of SoFi Invest, to discuss a new era of financial wealth management and the digital capabilities that are driving automated investing forward into the future. Now, let me introduce Tobin, and this is an extensive bio because he's incredibly impressive. Tobin McDaniel, is the head of SoFi Invest, a fintech company at the forefront of helping members get their money right. The Invest vertical within SoFi includes a wide selection of investing capabilities, including robo-advisory, ETFs, crypto, IPOs, and brokerage. Prior to joining SoFi, Tobin held a variety of roles at Charles Schwab, including leading digital advice, launching Schwab's Innovation Labs, and serving as chief of staff to the company's chairman, Chuck Schwab. Wow, that must have been awesome. And we may have to double click on that. His other experiences include time as a strategy consultant with McKenzie and Company and starting his career as a chemical engineer. He has a BS in chemical engineering from Carnegie Mellon and an MBA from the University of Pennsylvania's Wharton School. Tobin lives in San Francisco with his wife and two daughters, plus the family beta fish. And that's awesome that I'm speaking to a fellow girl dad. I have a daughter myself. She's two years old. Welcome to the podcast, Tobin. Hey, nice to meet you. And yeah, good to be speaking to a fellow girl dad. My daughters are three and five, so maybe I can give you some tips. After this is over, I'm slightly <laughs> ahead of you. <laughs> I can take all the advice I can get, man. I appreciate that. <laughs> awesome. Well, first and foremost, we'll talk about your role at SoFi 
as head of invest at SoFi. But before that, give us a little bit of background on yourself. I think you have a really exciting and eclectic background as a formerly trained chemical engineer that would then go on to be the chief of staff of Chairman Chuck Schwab. So can you give me a little bit more background on yourself and your career trajectory before running Invest at SoFi? Sure, sure. I'll, I'll try to make sense of that eclectic background. And it has gone different places. As you mentioned, I started my career as a chemical engineer. And this was around the time of the tail end of the dot-com boom. So I got into investing personally through the dot-com boom, made some money that felt like a lot of money, and then lost all that money because that's what happened to the dot-com boom. Wow. But I really got hooked on investing. Yet I continued to work as a chemical engineer, eventually went back to business school, wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do next. And so I became a strategy consultant, which is a place where lots of people sort of go to, to learn about different industries. What I was pretty sure I was convinced of at the time was I didn't want to go into investing professionally. My view in investing professionally was Wall Street, and that, that wasn't for me. But eventually, I found my way to Schwab. And that's a company that's very client-focused, very focused on democratizing investing, and had a great experience there. I sort of found the place where everything clicks for me. Got to combine my personal passion with business. Had plenty of great experiences there. Like you said, working for Chuck Schwab, building out several new product lines, including working on the robo-advisors at Schwab. And then eventually finding my way to SoFi. And, and SoFi was attractive to me for a bunch of reasons. It's a company I've long respected as an innovator in the fintech space, You know, starting with student lending and then adding lots of products. And it felt like the investing business at SoFi was the foundation to really build a business that changes the way investing works for the future and, and for future generations. I mean, one of the things I love to Schwab, one of the things I love here is that we are trying to democratize investing, bring more people to it and help people grow in their lives through investing and, and as we grow too. So that's the whirlwind tour of what's now a reasonably long career. Yeah, there's quite a bit I want to unpack there because Charles Schwab in many ways, and if you can give our audience even a bit more color, because you've actually worked at two, what I'd call pioneers in their industry. Now, in many ways, I'm not trying to put Schwab down. Like Schwab was like 1.0 of that that pioneering trajectory and evolution, right? Before we called FinTech, FinTech. And then you have SoFi, who in and of itself was a pioneer and got into the market in a slightly different angle. So I, I want to paint that picture because I want to really demonstrate the evolution of the landscape of investing yeah. in the last, call it 30, 50 plus years. And you just happen to, not surprisingly, have a first row seat in driving that innovation and thought and landscape. So let's start with Charles Schwab. How did they disrupt this space? And where did technology play in that disruption play? Sure. Schwab was one of the original kind of disruptors in financial services. And I'm going to take you back to the 70s when Schwab was founded. At that time, it was pretty hard and expensive to invest in the stock market. You had to work with a broker a local brokerage shop or you know, a big firm like Merrill Lynch. And it typically cost $150 to $200 to trade stocks. And that's in 1970s dollars, right? Like thinking about that with inflation, it would be so much more today. Schwab innovated around a period of deregulation that let people change the prices for trading stocks. And everybody else raised prices and Schwab reduced them. And it did that by taking trades over the phone. So there weren't branches around the country and obviously there wasn't the internet yet, but there was a 1-800 number that you could call and place your trades. 
So that was a form of technology then. There was a giant mainframe computer that helped handle all of it and send people statements, but it was a big first step towards democratizing investing. And that sort of has been the trend of the industry ever since. The prices to trade stocks came down and came down and came down all the way to where they are today, which is zero. The ability to get access to products like mutual funds got cheaper and more available on the web. The web just made it much easier for anybody to look and research stocks. And then mobile apps did that even more so, right, with more innovators coming along. And then one of those big innovations along the way was the ability to bring people investment advice in the form of a robo-advisor for very low to almost no cost. You know, you used to have to have a significant amount of money to get advice on your investments. And sorry to interrupt that part, because I think this is huge. What do you mean by robo-advisory? So robo-advisory, this is the ability for an investor to go to an app or a website, answer a few questions about their personal financial situation and their goals, get a professionally designed portfolio of stocks or funds recommended to them, and then that robo-advisor will manage it for them moving forward, aligned with their goals and their time horizon, and give them updates on what it what it's doing. And so there's a very sophisticated work done in the background by very smart investors and professionals who then couple with credible technologists to deliver this to pretty much anyone. So there are robo-advisors out there with almost no minimum and very low fees, including SoFi's, that anybody can get access to these investments. Whereas even 15 years ago, you had to work with a person, you had to have six figures plus to work with them, and they would charge you a pretty hefty fee. So robo-advice has sort of helped transform all of that to really bring advice to anyone with $50 to invest. Wow. And so it sounds like now, I really appreciate this history lesson because I think it sets the foundation for our discussion. So if I were to paraphrase it right, Charles Schwab in many ways took us from a very analog way of trading that was actually inherently had a lot of friction and so therefore higher costs associated with it, with removing that friction in many ways, leveraging technologies in different ways, all the way to innovating in what today we call robo-advisory. I myself am actually a Schwab account holder. I have my account with Schwab. Maybe one day with SoFi, hey? (laughs) (laughs) But I've certainly benefited from the robo-advisory. It's it's very simple from my perspective. And, And before we get into SoFi, what I find most interesting is sometimes investing may come off as very intimidating. And that's that I have an investment background, by the way. My background investing was in private equity, which doesn't have direct exposure to the public markets. And I think the fundamentals may be the same, but the tactics around investing are very different. And so even for me, Schwab has been very helpful. And I think inherent in that, right, is the democratization that you're referring to, because it's just inherently more accessible and intuitive for others to understand. So that's exciting. Now, once again, to no detriment to Schwab, because I am actually a client of theirs, I think that is 1.0 of the story, right? And now we have 2.0 or 3.0 of the story, which I think SoFi is, is definitely at the forefront of. Now, before we go into how SoFi got into the business of investing, I think it's really important that people understand what SoFi does and how they got into the market. Because we all know SoFi now, obviously, 
many of us listening in saw the the Super Bowl, which was hosted at SoFi Stadium. So we understand the brand, but we may not understand the history. And so can you help me better understand now the history of SoFi, how they got started, period, and then what was their trajectory into investing? And then we can double click on investing. Absolutely. Yeah, SoFi's got a really interesting history from starting about 10 years ago as an idea of a bunch of graduate business students at Stanford, an idea that people were likely overpaying on their student loan rates and could refinance them. And it started as a student loan refinancing company, did a really great job in that part of the marketplace. And we've sort of just expanded ever since. Now we are a bank as of earlier this year, we're officially a bank. We have many lending products, banking, checking and savings products that are great, as well as the investing business. And being a new company in a fintech, we do this all with fantastic technology in your app, but also very scalable technology in the back that allows us to give great rates to customers. We aim to have the best rate or the best pricing, as well as fantastic product. But it's been a decade-long evolution, decade-long overnight success, culminating in that fantastic stadium down in LA that now yeah, everybody I know knows where I work because it, it was the Super Bowl <laughs> at the stadium. <laughs> That's right. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't get to go, but I will visit that stadium someday. It looks great. It is. I've had the pleasure of going to a game there already, and it's it's something else, to be honest. And so one part of the SoFi story that I want to follow up on is there was a focus, right? I think that the persona name has changed, but initially it was referred to as Henry's high earners, not rich yet. And I always thought the SoFi strategy was, in my mind, genius because you're going to focus on a segment of the market, right, that are in student loan debt, but presumably have great degrees from great schools that are eventually going to earn money. So SoFi effectively created what I define and people define a little differently as a hero product, which is to build a relationship with that target segment, and then deepen the relationship. And so naturally, as you think about the expansion of different financial products and services, you would fall into investing. I think initially was student loan refinancing. I think then it was mortgage lending, help them buy their home. And then eventually, hey, it's time to invest. Mm -hmm. So the strategy always made perfect sense. I, I don't know if there's any reactions to that. or, But yeah, I always thought that that was just an amazing strategy from the beginning. That very much describes the SoFi strategy from the beginning. And I'd say over time, as we've offered more products and you, you walk through student loan refinancing, mortgages, we started an investing business about four years ago, including robo-advice, our banking. As we've added products, we've also increased our ability to really serve anybody. And you know, our tagline is get your money right. And we can really help anybody with that. But you, you touched on what the core and the historical part of our business is. And we've really just been able to expand as we've grown to millions and millions of members, which is what we call our customers. Perfect. Well, now let's dig into part two of this discussion, which is really to focus on RoboAdvisory. You've helped me understand now what is RoboAdvisory. But in that context, you gave me, call it the 1.0 version of RoboAdvisory in the context of where Schwab was at in innovating the space, and I'm assuming continues to do it. So as I think about RoboAdvisory and SoFi's strategy in doing that, where's the innovation? Yeah. I'm going to step back and talk about the innovation 
in investing in general, of which robo-advisory is a perfect, huge piece of it. And so one of the things I loved about SoFi Invest before it came and still love, you know, I've been here six months, is the breadth of what we can offer people from an investing perspective. We've got the ability to actively trade stocks with fractional shares so you can buy very, very small amounts, access to cryptocurrency trading, ETFs, robo-advisory, which we're going to spend most of our time on, and then access to IPOs, which has traditionally been something you have to have a lot of money to be able to buy into an IPO when it first goes public. With SoFi, you just have to be a SoFi member who invests with us to get access to the IPOs we have. And I think that breadth of product, which allows people to engage with investing different ways, is really important because robo-advice might be the center of how you invest. It might be where you put most of your retirement savings, but you still want to dabble around the edges, maybe more than dabble. And I think that's what's really exciting about our products and our business is you kind of do all that in one place. Now, you asked sort of where's robo-advice going? I mean, robo-advice will just continue getting more and more personalized for people. Starting with a very simple set of questions to very simple portfolios, we're seeing increasing demand for people who want portfolios that express more of their views of the world, whether it's a view that tech stocks are going to boom and be part of the future and I want to be heavier into tech, or I care a lot about the climate and I want to make investments in more climate-friendly companies. That should be part of your robo-advice and I think will be going forward. Additionally, the ability to get tools to help you think about your financial life and your financial health, not just how is this investment portfolio doing, but am I saving the right amount? Should I be paying down some other sort of debt? Being able to integrate more tools like that, some of which we already have at SoFi and some of which we don't. I mean, I think that's a big part of robo-advice going forward. And then there's still the human element. Sometimes you just want help from a person. But so far, we have financial planners. You can get free access to a financial planning conversation with a certified financial planner. I think that's going to be continue to be part of it too. It may be not the core of the relationship you have, but it's important at certain milestones in life, right? Maybe when the two-year-old daughter was born a couple of years ago, or for me, when our second daughter was born, it was like, okay, now it's really time to get this financial plan in order. Yeah, Those things are all part of the future of sort of how robo-advice and investing in general is going to evolve. It's hard to take the pieces apart because they all work together. This episode of Fundamental Fairness is brought to you by Camino Financial. And now back to the show. That's really interesting. You touched on a few elements of what I was going to follow up on. One is just, and I think you explained it very clearly. I'll just paraphrase your answer, which is, so is this whole relationship going to get automated, right? And what happens to the human element? That said, I fully agree with you. So using the example that we were talking about a little earlier, I still use Schwab and hopefully one day I'll use SoFi. But using it as an example, that robo-advisory piece is not as active as it was. I actually have since engaged with the financial advisor that has a custodial access to my account, but they're helping manage it for me because I see value in talking through some of the investment strategies based on different points in time. And to answer your question, what triggered that was my wife getting pregnant and being like, hey, I got to get my act in order. And it sounds like SoFi in many ways, which is really cool, it offers that holistic experience internally within SoFi versus like in my experience, it's a little bit patchy. Do you guys offer that value add service as well? Presumably it's a different fee structure and so forth, but is there the human element associated with that at SoFi? 
So what we offer from a human element perspective is actually available to any member of SoFi, whether you're in loans or in invest, is you can work with a financial planner to develop a financial plan for wow. no fee, no fee for it. And so it couples really, really well with robo-advice. And we often see people in the robo-advisor talking to the financial planner to think about their bigger picture and to you know maybe make some changes. But it's also something you can just do on its own and maybe it starts you down a path towards investing. So we absolutely believe in the value of human advice and it's sort of there to use on its own or I think works incredibly well with robo-advice and other investing products. So that's how we think about it and what we've offered today and sort of certainly well-received by our member base who, who uses it and has good feedback on it. Man, I may be fully convinced after this, man. <laughs> I'm working on you. <laughs> I love it. And for that reason, not surprisingly, and congrats, you guys have been ranked as this year's number one robo-advisor. So congrats on that. Or I guess last year's, given that we're already in March. But nonetheless, congrats on that. Now, let's say for the people that are the skeptics in the room, right? Algorithms taking over the world. What are the pros and cons of algo-driven robo-advisory investment decisioning, right? Purely from an investment perspective, is that destined to win? Are these creating outsized market returns? Are the returns in line? Maybe you're not getting what people call as alpha, which is above and beyond what normal market returns are. If you can give me a, a sense of pros and cons of, of robo-advisory, that'd be great. Yeah, I will. And I think it starts with just the investment philosophy behind most robo-advisors. And ours being no exception, it is to help you diversify your investments. So you're not highly concentrated in any one thing so that you can kind of weather the ups and the downs of the market. Driving great growth in the long term, but weathering those ups and downs is important because often the most important part of an investing strategy is just staying invested and not pulling your money out when there's a little bit of a dip. So Robo-advice portfolio is certainly down far less right now than a handful of stocks I picked myself, which are not performing particularly well. It's sort of weathering the market right now. We're talking during the war in Ukraine, the markets are down, there's lots of anxiety. So that's part of it. So it starts with the philosophy behind it, which is generally developed by really smart, certified financial analysts who've been studying the markets forever. And then it's implemented through the technology. And then the technology just helps drive it and drive it forward for you so you stay on course. So I think it starts with the sound philosophy and then just great technology to keep that in place. It's not for SoFi and not most places. It's not artificial intelligence picking your investments. It's just great algorithms managing them and keeping them on track. And so I think that's really important for people to understand. And that's where skeptics do come in as they wonder, you know, how am I going to trust a computer to invest for me? I want to have a person do it. And really, this is the best of both. I love it. I really like what you just said. And I think it's really important to demystify what robo-advisory does and to an extent what it doesn't do. So what robo-advisory does is enables you to apply best practices in managing and diversify your portfolio. And typically that yields what we'll call a market benchmark return, right? Yep. It won't necessarily go above benchmarks, but that's not necessarily a bad thing because when you start striving for that glorious alpha, <laughs> you're trying to beat the market if that comes at an incremental risk. 
and you need to be careful for that. And so as we think about democratizing investing, if you just hit market benchmarks, if we just help the world hit market benchmarks and apply best practices in diversifying their wealth creation, we'd be much better off as a community, as a world. <laughs> and so, <laughs> go ahead. Absolutely. If everybody could get market benchmarks for a decade, which investing is a long-term thing, they're going to be so happy with that when they look at it at the end of five years or 10 years. It may not have things you can post about on message boards day to day, but the outcome over a long term is going to be great. And that's one of the things that's also really important for people to remember. With robo-advice, it's really built for the long run. Like Most of the customers at SoFi are pretty new to investing and saving for the long run. Getting that diversified portfolio, continuing to save in it, and seeing where that stands after many years is, is exciting. Helping people project out how that's going to look after many years is also important. So they remember to stick with it for the long run. But it's not the most headline-worthy approach to investing, but it's really tried and true and incredibly successful for people in the long run. Yeah. You know, you and I have both gone to amazing schools and business school. You went to Wharton. And when I was at HBS, one of our professors in investing opened up an, a class around investing and said, everybody, if you want to become an investor, in particular in the public markets, you need to invest 80 hours a week in being the best investor you possibly can and have access to the infrastructure required to be able to capitalize on your investing insights at the speed of where the markets are today. If you can't fully commit to what I just said right now, don't waste your time and go <laughs> go open a SoFi invest account and don't lose sleep over this unless you're seeing this as like a gamification hobby, whatever. And we could talk about that actually in a second, going back to pros and cons, right? And you allocate a very small portion of your wealth, your net worth to that allocation. But think about it almost as entertaining, almost as trivial as gambling. And I thought that that opening statement really captured me and my way of thinking about investing. And I feel everyone's always trying to find the edge. I guess there's a reason why a lot of people gamble and play the lottery. But I think ultimately, like, don't get swayed by the headlines. Making money in the markets is not as intimidating as maybe a lot of people make it seem, as long as you're investing in, once again, platforms like SoFi's that enable you to reach those market returns over to your point, medium to long terms, because patience is a, another part of that equation, right? You got to be patient. You don't put money in a year or two and expect everything to come to you, which is another part of the equation. So anyways, I, I've always been captured by that. That said, I want to return to one of the comments that I said, which is, like, for instance, let me ask very explicitly, how do you guys compare against a Robinhood? Because like Robinhood has gamified the experience in a big way. We've seen it in the headlines. I think there have been terms dubbed like Robinhood, like investors that drove up the price of GameStop and AMC. So can you help me better understand the investor archetype that you're attracting relative to, to Robinhood, for instance, which I think everyone broadly knows of? Yeah. And I think the archetype we aim to attract, and I think we've attracted a lot of, is sort of a little bit of what you were describing or even sort of my own approach to this, which is 
I do like to pick individual stocks and see if I can have a, an insight in the market, but it's with a pretty small part of my money. Most of my money goes into our robo-advisor. I do like investing in cryptocurrency. I think it's fascinating. I do think there's something there that's the future. I don't know which one. So I have a little bit there because it keeps me engaged and it keeps me learning. It is sort of a hobby for me. No surprise, I work in this industry. It's a hobby for a lot of people. So we do offer everything and we offer everything because they all have a place. Some people get started investing like I did, picking dot-com stocks or, or picking whatever the stock of the day is now, learning about the ups and downs, often getting singed by the downs, but then getting sort of smarter about investing and diversifying more. So I think all of the pieces we have from active brokerage to crypto to IPOs to ETFs to robo have a place. And we're looking for those people who are trying to become better investors over time. And we'll work with them and try to help them get better through everything we offer. So I think we have a more diversified, more buy and hold crowd, but we do offer the ability to do some of those things that are maybe more fun, but much more challenging to actually succeed in. Perfect. Great. Now let's talk about the democratization part of what you do, as you know, but to remind our audience, one thing that I believe is unique about this podcast is we refer to fundamental fairness as as a theme that drives the intersection between fintech and financial inclusion. And you've mentioned on several occasions that in many ways, not just robo-advisory, but the broad scope of innovation at SoFi intends and is doing a great job moving forward that democratization. And so who are we democratizing into now? Because I think we're way past early adopters now. Innovation has been happening in this space for the last 50 years. For instance, and I'll be very direct, there were the haves and have-nots in 2020 and 2021. And so you think about the democratization of investing and you're like, why isn't it still reaching certain people in our communities? And so I would love to hear your thoughts on how SoFi is democratizing and making this world a more financially inclusive one. So I think we are getting to the place where technology and products allows for that democratization, right? Because you can get started investing with a few dollars, right? $5 invest in your first stock or fund, a few dollars invest in your first robo-advisor. And we've done a lot at SoFi to keep pushing that democratization. First with fractional share trading, our robo-advisor, ETFs with no fees, so on and so forth. We were working very hard to make it very accessible. And we'll continue to try to find that next innovation that we want to bring to anybody, right? What's the next product that needs to come to people? Or I think another part of this is we've got to figure out how to communicate, educate, and draw people in because it can be intimidating. People might start investing and then stop because they can't quite figure out what's the best thing to do. Maybe they bought one of those meme stocks on the way down, this is the way up, and lost money. And so I think democratization is both the products, but then the content and the education to help people along the way as they learn it, whether it's, you know, our SoFi Daily newsletter or having webcasts or our own podcasts to help people learn or other firms doing the same thing. I think that's very important because traditionally it's only been slightly more than half of the U.S. has invested in the stock market and equities. And I think that number can go to 90%. It can go up pretty high. I mean, at some point, people don't have the money to save, but even saving a few dollars and getting people who have a few dollars to save over time will make a big difference for them. And so I think we have to bring people in through easy to use, 
convenient and good content. I think that's the key, good education to drive interest and to your point, demystify the markets. Absolutely. Now we're in an interesting time. We just drew attention to the divergence between the haves and have nots in 2020 and 2021, right? Now we're entering a different phase. I don't like dating these podcasts so much, but it's a very interesting time. <laughs> it's it's beginning of 2022. The markets are volatile to say the least. And there's global conflict concentrated around Russia and Ukraine war. How does this trial and test this paradigm around democratization and being a good steward of capital for millions of people on your platform and beyond? I think the trial now, the test for people now is millions of people were drawn into investing the last couple of years for a variety of reasons, but all of which I consider great because people starting investing is the most important thing. The challenge now will be, can we help people stay invested or continue investing through a downturn? Because that's when people worry, they pull their money out. And maybe if they need the money in the near term, they should pull some out. But if they're really saving and investing for the long term, and they have you know many, many years ahead of them, you should often be investing more or staying invested through the downturn. So I think the challenge we face now is many investors of ours at SoFi and, and elsewhere going through their first downturn if they started in the last couple of years. Clearly, if you started in the past, you went through the 2020 downturn, you've been through others. So it's how do we help them do that? How do we help them understand this is a natural part of the market cycle? There's obviously volatility and tension in the world, but to stay the course and, and stay for the long term, that's our biggest challenge right now. And perhaps maybe even introducing some more people to investing now. The best time to start investing is, is yesterday. The next best time is today. How do we help people think about that? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, it's all very helpful. And as a closing question, and this is meant to be a broad, open question, so feel free to take it any way you'd like. What does fundamental fairness mean to you? So fundamental fairness to me is really three things. One, access and opportunity. Two, demystifying. And then three, support. So access and opportunity is what we sort of talked about. Like There are these amazing products now here at SoFi and elsewhere that you can invest in easy to do, great technology. You can get started with very little money and they cost very little as an investor. The access and opportunity is there for most people today. What's required is demystifying. You used that word earlier, but it's one I had jotted down as well, because I think that's an important part of demystifying what this is all about. Investing in the stock market is investing in companies and all the companies that you think are going to grow over time. And if you invest in the whole basket of them, it tends to work out. How do we help people understand that and do it? And then finally, how do we support people so that they stay invested for the long run, that they can get their questions answered when life gets more complicated. You could talk to that certified financial planner when you're having your first child or thinking about buying a house or maybe just thinking to move out on your own for the first time. Like all those are questions. So I think we continue to build and work to provide all that access and opportunity and then demystifying and support. I think that'll be a never ending challenge. Just meet people where they are. Everybody's got a unique set of circumstances in their life and a unique background. How do we help them where they are and then help them continue to try to succeed in the long run? Because I think that's what we're trying to do here at SoFi is help people get their money right and get their money right for the long run. So those are sort of the way I think about it. That's great. Great insights. Can think about phrasing it better, especially in the context of 
where you're driving a ton of value to make this a more fundamentally fair world. How can people follow you, learn more, follow up, all that good stuff? Well, you can come to us, SoFi.com, SoFi app. We've got great content. I am not as much of a content producer myself. So come to SoFi, learn about us. We've got great information to get educated about investing or any other part of your financial life. That's what I recommend or SoFi on Twitter. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining this podcast. It was an amazing conversation. I think our audience will find it equally insightful and value add as they create wealth for themselves and hopefully through SoFi Invest. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. Please be sure to like and subscribe to Fundamental Fairness anywhere podcasts are available. We'd like to thank Bethany Sands for sound and editing, our creative team, Tanya Chaidez and Eric Colleen, and our senior producer, Melanie Diaz.